Hello, I'm Leslie Ewing, host of Shorewords, and welcome to the Shorewords Shore and Beach edition. Shore and Beach is the quarterly journal of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association. And for this podcast, I'll be talking with a few of the authors who have papers in the most recent issue of the journal, discussing, of course, their articles, but also their interests in the coast, what they've learned as they were putting the article together, and their upcoming plans for research or writing. And it's a pleasure to introduce today Kristen Goodrich. But before that, I'd like to allow a word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at LJA.com. Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants offers high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, and the skilled and respectful crews to get your project built. Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring the dune and wetland ecology of your home or barrier island. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at dunesciencegroup.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Christian. So you have a paper now in Shore and Beach toward improving coastal sediment management through coordination in California, you and a group of other authors. A group paper, as we know, is, is always going to have some benefits and challenges with it. <laughs> and I'll ask about those later. But I wanted to start and let you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I, I'm, I'm excited to be here, and especially with you. You've been uh, such a leader in this space for so long. So it's a real honor. Um, my name's Kristen, and I am based in San Diego, California, and have been working at the Tijuana River National Estuarine Research Reserve since 2009. So typically, I can be found sitting at my desk looking over the Tijuana Estuary in Imperial Beach, California, but today I'm in my home office in San Diego. So probably not as wonderful of you, but you're close, <laughs> you're close to the refrigerator, which also makes it nice. You can go and get a drink after this. Yeah, well, I definitely miss uh, the, the vantage point. It's kind of been an amazing experience to be situated um, at the research reserve um, in this really interesting binational context. Um, the research reserve is uh, on the U.S.-Mexico border, and we do a lot of our work in um, in and around the city of Tijuana. So one of the most, I think, motivating aspects of the work is being able to actually be situated and, and sitting um, 
where we're doing our work and, and on, on some occasions actually seeing <laughs> the, the results of the work that we do. So being place-based has its benefits. Great. And can you explain what you actually do there? Sure. So I manage the coastal training program and the coastal training program is in place at each of the 29 national estuarine research reserves around the U.S. And CTP is in place to take the science and the research that happens um, at the reserve, but also in the bioregion and help to try to translate that science to decision-making through training and technical assistance. And so in our case, our bioregion spans from Santa Barbara to San Quentin, Mexico. So there's a, there's a bit of work to be done. Yes, that's <laughs> for sure. It's a, it's a big stretch of coast. It is, it is. But, um, you know, through that work, just kind of amazing opportunities for partnership um, and collaboration and, and a bit of what inspired our thinking on, on this paper. Perfect. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about the paper that you put together? Sure. Well, I'll start by by saying that it couldn't have been written without an amazing group of colleagues, um, Doug George, Mark Baylor, Phyllis Griffin, and Nick Sardapur. And uh, we have been, all all of us have, have been colleagues for a long time. Uh, and this was the first time we actually kind of came together to put some words to paper about the experiences that we've had in thinking about coastal sediment management and improving coordination in California, so it was a it was a really <laughs> it was a really great experience. I you know I I haven't written a paper individually. My my preference is always to be um, writing with others because so much experience is brought to bear. So your PhD wasn't an individual effort. Well, <laughs> I guess technically, uh, but but actually, I don't think of it as that. I I, I spent um, much of my research doing community based um, work in in the city of Tijuana, and, and in particular in a in a canyon community, Los Laureles Canyon, that um, involved so much. Um, collaboration and partnership and working together that uh, it's hard for me to think of any of my efforts as singular, but um, there was a bit of, uh, (laughs) there was a bit of isolation in writing the dissertation. That's for sure. Yep. So you mentioned the idea that you've been dealing, you're talking about sediment and, and working with this group of people in various aspects for a number of years. And then like you, the idea for me is that when I sit down and write something, it helps me coalesce the ideas and really bring them into focus. And I suddenly have thoughts about what I've been mulling over that that become more clear mm-hmm. because I have to write them down, because I have to start focusing my, my vagueness. So in writing this, what did you learn? What did you discover was kind of an important thing that you maybe hadn't brought to the forefront as much as you might have otherwise. Yeah. Well, you know, something in, in, in writing this paper together, I think we all wanted to approach this topic with, you know, an experience in being place-based in some cases, place-based practitioners, you know, um, Phyllis at, at UCC grant and Nick at UCSD and, and, and Mark up in the Santa Barbara area um, with Beacon and 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 Doug, who's who's done a lot of work across the state and is now 
now with Noah, you know, each of us kind of wanted to bring the perspective of being a representative or a member of an organization that is working on regional sediment management. And so it was kind of a unique opportunity to take a step away from some of the more kind of theoretical or, um, you know, higher order, broader concepts and think really practically about um, what it is that makes the organizations that are engaged in coastal sediment management in California unique. Um, what are some of the challenges that, that they face in coordination and capacity? And what are some of the more, um, you know, novel or innovative ways we can be thinking about improving um, coordination and, compa and capacity uh, despite, you know, limited budgets and, 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 and other constraints. And so um, what really I think rose to the top for me was just how important it is to um, bring together folks who are doing work on the ground to be thinking um, about informing some of the more kind of uh, higher level statewide policies. How, how would you see doing that right now with COVID? How do you bring anyone onto the ground together? <laughs> well, yeah, COVID has presented us a, a very unique set of challenges, but but ones I'm, I'm seeing people overcoming in really amazing ways. I think, um, you know, getting over the the learning curve of doing virtual meetings uh, has certainly certainly happened, at least through my experience. I think folks have gotten their their feet beneath them, and while they may not be out um, doing as much of the kind of uh, um, on the ground restoration, maybe as previously, we certainly are still talking and in some ways have, have transcended some, some barriers that um, existed previously. Um, you know, it was hard to travel to statewide meetings and hard to, hard to connect. And, and now it's just a click of a zoom button. So um, I think, you know, certainly there's been some delays in the work and the projects and the on the ground kind of earth moving, but uh, we certainly have been able to coordinate and collaborate in kind of uh, unique ways. So what are some of the takeaways for listeners, takeaways that come out of the paper that you put together? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think regional sediment management, the, the construct has been a, around for a, a very long time. And, and you know, we, we stand on the shoulders of individuals who have done extraordinary work in thinking about how we can do a better job at um, managing sediment as a resource and beneficially reusing or using sediment. Um, in, in, and that's, that is a long history. Um, what, what I think is, is becoming more clear, though, is that sediment is not as much part of the resilience conversation, resilience to sea level rise conversation, as I think many of us would like to have it be. Um, it certainly plays a really important role. For years, I think sediment may have been considered, um, I don't know, something uh, bad, you know, maybe contaminated or maybe something to be gotten rid of. Um, and, and I think very rapidly <laughs> we're realizing that sediment is an extraordinary resource and one that needs to be um, cherished or treasured and, um, and definitely beneficially used in coastal management. And so, uh, you know, I think what we, what we came to and just writing this paper together, we're thinking about the ways in which organizations that exist and organizations that we're, we're already embedded in a number of us as, as co-authors. So um, I'm thinking about organizations like the Coastal Sediment Management Work Group. Um, I'm thinking about Beacon. I'm thinking about um, CSBPA. 
um, you know, that, that our role in these organizations can really help elevate some of the urgency of, of the need for sediment to be, um, to be seen and treated and thought of um, and managed as a resource. Right. Now, I know what CSBPA is and Beacon, but I think many of our members actually recognize CSBPA, but CSMW may be a new one for folks. Sure. Well, yeah, I should I should give a huge caveat. I mean, this is going to be acronym soup. I, I, that was another thing we realized um, in writing the paper is how often um, acronyms are used and, and not often explained. But um, CSMW is a state state coastal sediment management work group. It's it's a working group that has representatives from federal and state and local government agencies and, and academia. And, you know, they serve a role to provide insight into challenges um, that are faced working with agencies with different mandates. I think, you know, coastal sediment is a, a broad management is a broad topic at many scales, again, federal, state, local levels, and the work group is in place to try to kind of bring folks together. And some of what we, we thought about and wrote about in the paper were ways in which we can better um, crosswalk between some of the organizations um, that are out there um, thinking and working on sediment management to be more efficient and to be more effective in implementing regional sediment management as an approach. Great. Now, I think, you know, I was part of CSMW from the beginning when it got going back in the late 1990s. And originally it was set up as an opportunity for federal and state agencies to talk about plans for sediment. The Corps of Engineers would be planning to do a dredging project and maybe the local communities or state agencies were interested in having some of that sediment go to opportunistic beach projects or something like that. And yet the coordination on timing wasn't there. You needed the state-federal match. Our, we were not really poised at the state level to respond to the federal activities when they'd come about because we just weren't talking about them. We weren't getting a, a heads up of what things were going to be happening when. And so it first started out just as a opportunity to coordinate on projects and that was back when sediment was called dredge spoil. So we've come a long <laughs> yeah. way, and I'm glad that yeah. that happened. Yeah. But um, I was, I've was i been reading a book by Elizabeth Rush. It's called Rising, and it deals with sea level issues. And she's got this great quote that I will probably use in my next eight podcasts because I love it so much. And it's, sometimes the key arrives arrives before the lock. And to an extent, it seems to me that that's what has happened in California with sediment management. We got a jump start with CSMW and the Beacon Group, which is a Santa Barbara Ventura joint power authority that was looking at navigation and beach issues as well, but started to talk about these issues for a long time and have evolved into the idea of having these sediment management plans that have gotten developed and gotten a sort of strong foundation and now, as you pointed out, we're realizing they're good for the idea of climate adaptation and looking at how we're going to address the consequences and impacts from sea level rise. And so where where, where do you find that has been a benefit? And, and 
What do you think other states can learn from California so that they don't need a 20-year preface to get get to the point of thinking of sediment as an opportunity and, and having coordination? Yeah, well, I, I love that quote, too. I think I've, there are several uh, areas of, of my work and my life that I think it applies. But, you know, this idea that you, you bring up that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're having conversations, really critical conversations about the future of California's coast and and sediment and, and efficient management of sediment is going to be critical to keep up, keep up with rising sea, you know, sea levels. Um, so many of our coastal habitats are already so impacted by development in, in these very urbanized settings. And so um, it's critical, it's critical that we are thinking about sediment in, in this way. Um, and, and, you know, in, in connected um, work that, that I've been doing through the University of California, Irvine, and through a project called SEDRISE, we've been conducting interviews of sediment managers and regulators and different stakeholders in sediment management processes and trying to just get a handle on kind of um, what the what the lived experience is of someone who's trying to kind of wade through some of this tricky stuff. And what, what we're learning in part and what I'm hearing uh, from, from many folks who are kind of on the front lines of this are that they completely understand the role of sediment and and recognize that it's something we need to be addressing immediately. Yet, you know, in many cases, agencies might be lagging behind. So that's where your, your quote kind of comes into play, for me at least, that um, innovation and forward thinking and adoption of this idea as sediment as a, an, as a resource is, is one that is adopted by nearly everyone that I've I've talked to, um, but but our our structures that are in place may not be as nimble, and they may not be as um, as quick to respond. So, in that reality, I think the question is how do we um, advance innovation despite you know some significant barriers, institutional barriers, and regulatory barriers. And one of the ways that you know I think, or maybe two ways that that we can start to chip away at that is 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 intra-organizational capacity building. So um, how can we develop skills and knowledge and resources um, within organizations and then inter-organizational coordination? How can we then bring and bridge organizations um, that may not always be at the same table? Uh, How can we bridge them in a way that conversations are being had about the real challenges and the real opportunities for improved um, sediment management? So you mentioned regulatory issues, and that's one that ASBPA certainly is trying to deal with at the national level. And do you see a role for sort of a a national perspective on sediment that then would be of use for all of the shore and beach groups within ASBPA and all the states that are trying to come up with better ways to handle sediment management? Yeah, I think a national a national narrative around this is, is certainly one that's important. I mean, we can look to other coastal um, regions in the U.S. and and see kind of <laughs> see a, a problem, a major problem um, ahead of us. You know, you look to the Gulf region 
Um, you look to some places on the East Coast that have been for many years experimenting with thin layer augmentation. Um, and in some ways, uh, those, those places may be the canary in the coal mine for us as we think about our California coast. Um, so the national narrative is one that, that, that is certainly um, critical and, and important to leadership in this, in this area. You know, California, though, is a huge state with very, very big <laughs> differences across regions um, as it relates to sediment input, as it relates to how sediment is managed, as it relates to um, where sediment is um, brought to uh, in, in certain management um, approaches. And I think, you know, there's a lot to be learned from each other in, in regional kind of approaches, um, barriers to sediment management, but also, again, that, that idea of opportunity and innovation. I think, you know, there's a number of um, regional sediment management plans that are, in, in, you know, completed and in, in play. And what we learn about how they're implemented and what some of the barriers are to implementation I, I think those lessons learned are going to be critical. And, and that's where, you know, some of these organizations, I think, can really come in to help support that kind of dialogue, um, including the Coastal Sediment Management Workgroup and including other organizations in this space. So do you think ASBPA should be doing something more with um, facilitating those lessons learned and sharing across states and regions? Well, I'm... I'm I consider myself newer to the ASBPA community, but um, from what I've kind of gotten to observe and be part of, there's there's definitely some, um, you know, some opportunities. The the national conference, of course, is always one and has has been made virtual this year. But um, you know, there, I think creating a, a national platform is is one of the key roles that it can play. Um, you know, maybe maybe we can do a better job at bringing what we're learning from California to the national um, the national organization to see if there might be any opportunity for those the, those lessons learned transfer of lessons learned. Well, of course, I've got a little bit of a bias that I think Shore and Beach is a great <laughs> way to bring this about and to at least keep people aware of what's going on throughout the country and throughout the world on beach management issues. And speaking of shore and beach, we're planning for a future issue that will deal with thin, the thin layer placement of sediment. So you, you've brought up a topic that we also recognize as being an important one and trying to focus where we can on, on providing the tools that local governments, state governments need to try to be more um, protective and protective of the coast and addressing some of the the key issues that we're facing these days. Yeah. And I, I think, um, like you say, I think the Shore Beach is a great platform for us. And I think this was our hope. Our hope was to kind of try to really come together and critically think about what's been done in California over the last 20 plus years um, in, in, in coastal sediment management in principles and, and also in, in the visioning for it. Um, but, you know, what, what also comes to mind is is supporting coastal professionals who are doing this work and who are um, engaging in these often really <laughs> challenging spaces um, while trying to manage a number of demands. There's a you know a, a study of California coastal professionals that kind of points to the the landscape of changing needs and changing information needs, and then also just capacity building and 
you know, so much has changed even since 2011 when the first survey was conducted where coastal professionals were asking for, um, you know, information about water quality and, and excessive sediment. And, and then in more recent years, you know, that those needs, um, information needs are shifting to a better understanding sea level rise and coastal erosion. And I mean, I think that it speaks volumes that just several years ago, while coastal professionals were trying to look for more information and get more familiar with risks of sea level rise, that that's shifting now to wanting to understand, you know, options and solutions of how to implement, you know, new, new and, and innovative measures to actually address the issue, the urgent issue. So um, the capacity building building piece, I think, is is important organizationally, but it's also important at the at the individual level, you know, these, these folks who are kind of on the front lines of, of sea level rise and trying to think about um, innovative approaches are just are, are really needing resources. They're really needing training. Um, we see that training is a, is a need that per, has persisted over the years. Um, maybe the topics have changed as, as we get more advanced and we learn more, as we rapidly learn more. But that's something I think, you know, organizations like like ours, the Coastal Training Program, like Sea Grant, and, and like some of these organizations that are advocacy-based can really play an important role in. And I think you point up something that's important to realize as well, that we kind of, we often are looking at the past problems. We're still scrambling to get together the information on sea level rise, and and there's not the information yet available on what to do for adaptation. So it's the there's a lag between need and supply <clears throat> that there's yeah yeah and, there's your locking lock and key again yes <laughs> <laughs> except yeah um if only we could get the the answers before the problems were to come up i think that, that <laughs> that's that's the uh, the dilemma we're facing in some cases that's right that's right so back to your paper what would you say are the pros and cons of this group written paper or they're just all pros for it? <laughs> well, you know, I think uh, experimenting with new technology, you know, experimenting with new ways to share drafts is always, is can always be a challenge, but this group was, was, was amazing. I mean, w- we came together pretty quickly. I think, you know, it was, that was predicated on long-standing relationships and, 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 and friendships too. I think this community is a pretty amazing one in terms of its ability to support each other, to have really important and healthy dialogue, um, to be, to be experimental, um, and to be provocative. And, you know, I think that all of that transcends some of the kind of challenges of just the, the logistics of trying to get together to, to pull together a piece like this. But, um, I would do it again. I can't speak for my <laughs> for my other co-authors, but I would love to. I would love to do it again. So, do you have any plans to do anything else together? Do you have any projects you're thinking about? Um, yeah, actually, quite a few. We're uh, we're trying to think about uh, leveraging some work that was done many years ago at the Tijuana Estuary in uh, collaboration with USGS and a number of other um, agencies and and researchers to try to understand the fate and transport of um, fine grain sediment. And in part, that's because the Tijuana Estuary is so impacted by sediment um, due to rapidly urbanizing canyon communities 
in the city of Tijuana that we wanted to really understand um, where the sediment um, goes and what the impact of the sediment is uh, when nearshore placement activities are conducted. Because right now what we do is we intercept this excessive sediment that moves through the system in sedimentation basins and, and ship it out to landfills at great expense and at great, um, great impact to the resource, not to mention greenhouse gas emissions of that type of activity. And so we understand that there's a much better and higher use for that sediment um, as we think about sea level rise and we think about beneficial use in response to climate change. So um, years ago, we, we conducted a, a study with USGS to, to look at that fate and transport we learned a lot about it. Um, we, you know, the Pacific Ocean is a highly energetic system. It brought that material um, offshore pretty quickly, and in, and in the context of what the Tijuana River puts out in a typical rain event, um, it was really a blip in the radar. And so we wanted to try to leverage that. We wanted to try to take that information that we were learning um, and share that, share the results of that research, in hopes that we would be able to uh, more effectively streamline permitting and, and make these types of projects um, more feasible. But as we've been talking about, barriers exist. And so we're really trying to think about what now, you know, this was, that study was conducted in 2009, 2010, we're 10 years out from that. Um, and the conversation has changed drastically about the urgency of, of sea level rise and about the urgency of, of, of uh, the sediment needs. And so we're, um, we're thinking together collaboratively a lot about what we can do to leverage what we learned, bring these conversations back again into the kind of management and regulatory space and, and see, what, um, see what we might be able to do um, differently and see what we, what we might be able to do to really inform kind of a more regional approach to this dilemma. Definitely. And I can see some of that sediment being applicable for thin layer placement or within a dune system that is created for a living shoreline. So um, as you say, the landscape has changed a lot, as has the perceptions of, of sediment overall, which may make it a, a great time to think about these projects and a great time to think about more papers for shore and beach. Gotta, be, <laughs> gotta always be pushing that idea on people. <laughs> Absolutely. So this has been great. Um, as one final uh, question, though, I have to ask it of everybody. What's your favorite beach or beach experience that you're willing to share with folks? Oh, my goodness. I have so many. My favorite beach experience has to be, uh, I'll keep it local, um, Silver Strand State Beach which is part of um, the system that, that, that we think a lot about down in South Bay, San Diego. Uh, Silver Strand is this kind of amazing, expansive beach, uh, although a strand, uh, that stretches between the city of Imperial Beach and Coronado. And I think about uh, one morning I was out taking a walk and I, as far as the eye could see were bean clams. It was kind of one of the most explosive populations I had ever seen. And so I did a little digging and I think it might be where Silver Strand got its name from, but I have some more research to do. Wow. That sounds really magical. And we need those magical coastal moments right now for those of us who are 
sort of inland bound and not getting to the ocean and not getting to the beach as much as we used to. So thanks. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. 